Friday, November 27, 2009, and this is the Relevant Podcast. This is the um, uh, Tryptophan Hangover edition of the Relevant Podcast. Probably as you people are, are in your post-holiday comatose state, surfing the web to escape your in-laws, you were shocked when you saw the podcast automatically start to download. You thought, of all times, of all weeks... Surely there's no relevant podcast this week. Guess what? You're wrong. You didn't count on the fact that we have poor relationships with our families. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The Relevant Podcast is your audio companion to Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. I'm Cameron Strang, and here in our Orlando, Florida studios, joining me is Associate Editor Ryan Hamm. Hello, everyone. Behind the glass wall on the ones and twos, we have our uh, producer, Chad Michael Snavely, who you hear throughout the podcast. On the Skype line from Virginia, we've got Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And all the way from New Zealand, a godless nation where they don't celebrate Thanksgiving, Adam Smith. I've got World Cup fever. (laughs) (laughs) And it's as bad as swine flu. Oh, I was going to say that. (laughs) It it causes a very painful rash. It's also spread by pigs. (laughs) Well, before, before I know, you know... By the time listeners are downloading this, uh, Thanksgiving has has passed them by. But I wanted to just mention that this, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I uh, am fascinated with turducken, which is a, a chicken stuffed in a duck that is stuffed into the turkey. And I had an idea this year, which unfortunately I was not able to accomplish, but I'm hoping to do next year. Where I tell the family, you know what, guys, this year I'm going to bring the turkey. And so I'm going to bring uh, the turkey. And there, everyone's going to be like, oh, thanks, Jesse. That's really nice. I'm sure it's going to be delicious. And then anyway, after, after you know the family gathers around, my uncle will begin to carve it. He cuts it open. But here's the thing. I don't tell him that's not a turkey he's cutting. That's a turducken. Okay? So it's solid meat. So it, it is, he, he starts, but I don't tell him that fact, you know, he's just expecting the average bird. Okay. He so starts are cutting. You ex- are you anticipating some sort of like celebration of awe and wonder? What, why are you springing <laughs> I, I, I'm this getting on there. them? Like, I'm getting there. You know, it's like the, the, an opera where the masks just keep falling away, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it, in my mind, it's incredibly dramatic because at some point he's cutting and he starts shaking his head like, what? What is this? And starts cutting there's, very, very quickly. There's another bird here. He's like, there's three meats in here. And then, it's and then he gets miracle. down to a chicken and he thinks that's got to be it. And inside that, there's a pigeon. <laughs> and then yeah. inside the pigeon, not another bird because it'd be too small, but maybe like a silver hawks action figure. You know, I had a similar experience uh, once, Jesse, when, when um, I was 10 and went uh, deep sea fishing with my dad. Yeah, we were uh, we were we were you know it's one of those they take the boats out and you basically just drop the line off the back of the boat and then mm-hmm. you just pull it up down up down up. It's not exactly like charter boat sport fishing. Anyway, so pulling it up, pulling it up, boom, got something. Anyway, I had hooked the fin of a shark. Nice. And so I you know I like you know anyway so I reel it in, get the shark, we take it home, cut it open. More sharks. Whoa. It was a shark full of sharks. It was giving birth when I hooked it. It was actually in the process of giving birth. There were fully formed baby sharks inside the shark. That will be your Thanksgiving, Jesse. I feel like you don't want to point that out to the pro-life movement. (laughs) Inside those sharks were there smaller sharks. (laughs) There was a pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) And inside that, a silver hawks action figure. I was going to say, like, your uncle will either be really excited as he carves it, or he'll be appalled at your blatant disregard for, like, Levitical sex laws, because I don't know how you got those animals into each other. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> like that seems there has to be something in the Bible that opposes that. It's not natural. <laughs> or, or they're just gonna think that it's that the turkey was giving birth when or it was that. killed. Yeah, it was it was yeah. pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> and and that would reveal your uncle's shocking lack of knowledge about <laughs> basic biology. <laughs> Jesse, this bird was pregnant. (laughs) It was giving live birth to a completely plucked bird. (laughs) Not only was it giving a live birth, it was giving live birth to like uh, a twin who had absorbed the other fetus or something. (laughs) I will never, ever have Turduncan in my life now. Thank you. Yeah, and and the chicken was giving birth to cornbread stuffing. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope everybody's Thanksgiving was great. Um, as as you noticed with the uh, with the opening music, it is now officially the Christmas season. So all podcast long, we'll be playing Christmas music in the breaks because you know normal people can now start playing. Right. Abnormal yeah. people have been listening to it for a while already, yeah, which is wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. I, I agree. It's like a turkey being pregnant with another bird. Yes. Unnatural. It's Yeah. It is uh, as unnatural as a turducken. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And, and, and here's the thing. There is heated, contentious debate within the relevant offices about the best Christmas music. And so Ryan has his opinion. I have mine. That's why you heard Run DMC's Christmas and Hollis as the opener to the podcast, because I won that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have not yet settled the debate to be able to decide what the lineup is for this podcast. This is going to go several more days. Right. So I can't tell you what you're listening to. You're going to have to go over the podcast episode page and, and look at the music lineup there. And we'll, we'll put links and stuff if you don't. But anyway, I just want to give you a heads up that I won't be saying you're listening to, because I don't know. I don't know. Chances are, though, there will be some... Frank Sinatra at some point. Bing Crosby. Too slow for the podcast. No, Frank Sinatra. No, for no. the podcast. I've we got my peppy. love to keep me warm. Very peppy. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is the lamest debate that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the editorial department is like now. Um, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. So today. The He's day- sitting right there. I know. <laughs> I looked away as I said it. Cameron, he's literally—he's not only literally in the same room as you. He's got headphones that are broadcasting your voice into his ears. So today uh, we are recording this right before Thanksgiving, and today literally the entire January issue is going to the printer. Uh, today, uh, all but one page will be uploaded to the printer. That's why I look very sleepy. Right. Yeah. Everybody's exhausted. Been working very hard on the issue. It's—it's it's an exciting issue. But and they all had turducken for lunch. <laughs> it's the trip to fan. Yeah. Um, so uh, so that's exciting for us. Uh, we have a good podcast lined up for you today. Uh, even though we're busy, we want to, you know, we're right coming up on holiday break and we're, we have an issue going to the printer. Uh, so this isn't going to be as long as maybe a normal podcast. We, in fact, are going to skip the live music performance this week and save it for next week. Coming up, though, we have part two of our Don Miller interview. A lot of you uh, responded to last week's part one. We actually put up a transcript of part one on the website mm-hmm. and got retweeted quite a bit. So part two of that's coming up. It's it's fascinating, and and your feedback. Now this is then this is a really exciting part. Uh, that that 140 character short story thing that we wanted you to do. A lot of you, I mean, like surprisingly, a lot of you went and did that, and so we had a lot of good ones to uh, pull from. And we will be announcing our ten favorite. Um, the ten, those ten people win a uh, will win a signed copy of Don Miller's new book. So that's coming up later. Uh, before all that, though, entertainment releases. We have not too much coming out on Tuesday, December first. We've got Juliana Barwick coming out with Fluorine. Uh, the Bravery is coming out with Stir the Blood. Deer Tick with More Fuel for the Fire. It's an iTunes. You know who exclusive. likes Deer Tick? I do. Actually. Well, no, they're really good, but surprisingly likes Deer Tick. Brian Williams. From NBC Nightly News. What? Yeah, the news anchor for NBC Nightly News likes Deer Tick. <laughs> how, yeah. do you, how do you know this? Do you he read keeps, his blog? He, no, he keeps an indie rock blog. He does no, not. No, he really does. He's like really an indie rock. Brian Williams. Brian you, Williams. You know, you know someone keeps that for him. Hey, why you gotta doubt Brian? Have you seen him on 30 Rock? He's really funny. Well, I've, I've actually heard this. He is real big on indie rock. I, can you, well, I, I saw him interviewing Michael Phelps, like, you know, back during the Olympics, mm-hmm. and... Michael Phelps was talking about how he listens to Little Wayne, mm-hmm. you know, before every race. And Brian Williams, I remember it is still stuck in my head him going, 
Well, who doesn't love a, uh, the Wheezy? <laughs> I was thinking, Brian Williams, <laughs> you just went down about 15 notches in my opinion. What? What? That's because awesome. Because I know someone off camera I, whispered that to you. He did not. Well, wow. no. Brian Williams is just actually a cool guy. I would agree with that. He makes 30 Rock cameos. Yeah, he's really funny on 30 Rock, too. He's self-deprecating. Yes. Maybe, maybe it's just that the news lost a lot of credibility that night when I heard the anchor reference Wheezy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not saying that's not the case, but he gained indie rock credibility by losing news credibility. Yeah. And really, what kind of credibility would you rather him have? Oh, indie rock, <laughs> for sure. Considering, yeah, well, see, considering he's a news anchor. <laughs> indie rock. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, Alicia Keys is coming out with the element of freedom. So not, not a ton coming out. It's the holiday season. Uh, movie releases coming out on Friday, December 4th. We got uh, Armored which is uh, Matt Dillon and others um, doing um, a, an armored car thing. Yeah. There you go. Up in the Honestly, air. Honestly, that pretty much tells you the entire movie. Right. Up in the air, the uh, George Clooney uh, uh, movie uh, from Jason Reitman, uh, hi- highly anticipated. He's, he's, you know, the director of Juno. Uh, it looks fantastic. It's coming out in limited release on the 4th, December 4th on Friday. A wider release, I think, on the 21st. I think, yeah, well, I think on Christmas, isn't it? Christmas Day, that's yeah. right, three weeks later. So uh, if you live in one of three major metropolitan areas, you yeah. can go see it early. Good job, New York. Yeah, <laughs> tell us how it is. Um, uh, Brothers is coming out. Uh, Natalie Portman, Toby Maguire, Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, I cannot see Jake Gyllenhaal now without thinking of the Andy Samberg digital short where uh, uh, the Iran oh, yeah. guy and Jake Gyllenhaal. You're like a very... <laughs> Very hairy Jake Gyllenhaal to me, and he makes that little cameo. Uh, and last but not least, everybody's fine. It's the Robert De Niro heartwarming. Um, you know, he goes and reconnects with his kids. Sort of like The Godfather. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Or Raging Bull. Yeah, yeah. Fits right in the De Niro canon. <laughs> yeah. So, so Robert De Niro continues his string of appearing in movies without actually acting. Oh, snap! But well, it's true. No, this would continue the Meet the Parents side of Robert De Niro, right? Yeah. yeah, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the I want to destroy my own legacy. Robert. Well, that's like, oh, you can the meet the parents. Robert I De Niro? watched I watched Casino last week, yeah. and I was like, Robert De Niro is a really good actor, and I'm not or, sure or, what or a Taxi Driver. Oh yeah, or, 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 or Goodfellas, like, even Cape Fear. Did you guys see that one of him and Al Pacino? Last year or two no. years ago, fifteen minutes. Uh, I heard it was atrocious. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. I was I was livid. <laughs> I left that place angry. Oh. How bad it was! Literally, literally yelling at the sky, hoping Robert De Niro would somehow hear me. <laughs> <laughs> and he answered me back. Um, all right, well that'll do it for your entertainment releases. Up next, slices. I'm burning with love. My heart's on fire. And the flame grows higher So I will weather the storm Why do I care how much it may storm I've got my love to keep me warm Well, if you haven't heard, it's Relevance 12 Days of Christmas. You can sign up right now at relevantmagazine.com slash 12 and we will send you 12 exclusive offers freebies and discounts on stuff that you will want this Christmas now you have to sign up before November 30th you will be entered for a chance to win a $100 Amex card relevantmagazine.com slash the number 12 why do I care how much I don't know how to intro a segment without knowing what music is playing, but you're listening to something, and now we will talk. Something Christmassy. Yes. Festive. Wear a sweater. It's true. Okay. All right. It's time for slices. Okay. So uh, police, evidently in Scotland, are uh, looking for the thieves of up to half a million bees stolen from Royal Beekeeper Murray McGregor, uh, which, by the way... Number one, I'd like to bring up the fact that there's a royal beekeeper. Yeah. And number two, that you couldn't get a more Scotch name than Murray McGregor. <laughs> uh, but a total of 11 hives were taken uh, from this bee farm. And, uh, of course, this is 
given our previous discussions about the the worldwide disappearance of bees, this is actually a massive crisis in uh, beekeeping. Half a million bees at a time when honeybees are actually in enormous decline. Um, Adam, can I ask you a so question? So, police are. Can I can I ask you a question? Sure. I'm, I'm just trying to follow along here. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't understand the intricacies of beekeeping, but bees can fly. Correct. Mm, yes. How do you steal half a million bees if they could? Let's say they don't want to go with you. They could just return back to where well, they want to be. Cameron, you put them in a sack. Let's <laughs> say, what, what if they just flew there voluntarily? Is that theft? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but what if they don't like the beekeeper? Yeah, how do we know that? Well, this is it actually... depends upon how you enticed them there. Okay. If it was under false pretenses, and then maybe, yes, it's theft. Maybe they're all underage. Candy in a van. There's an age. <laughs> there's got to be an age of well, consent. Well, if you're putting them in a sack or in a van, how are you transporting half a million bees? That's a lot of bees. Well, here's my thought: is like, is it really going to be hard to? Uh, track down these thieves, look for the people covered in thousands of bee stings. <laughs> Listen for the buzzing. That's all you got. Yeah. Well, he, here's, here's a, this is even more terrifying. Um, there, there's a, almost an identical story from New Zealand this week, Adam. Were you aware of that? Oh, dear. Listen, over a million bees were stolen. 28 hives. What? Oh man! Hold on. That that actually makes this look paltry. This is comparison. a pandemic. <laughs> I knew the world economy was bad, yeah. but when when there's serial bee theft going on, I think we've hit rock bottom. <laughs> Maybe bees will replace gold as a standard well, for currency. Go, it's sweeter than gold. It's true. <laughs> what I'm surprised by is that there's a big like a big black market for bees. You know, you, you like did. how do you how do you move stolen bees? How, how do you, you fence them? those things? Yeah. You swallow them. <laughs> don't, I, I don't think he's talking about literally moving it. I think he's talking about like a a rare piece of artwork. Like, is there a black market where, like, hey, you know, I'm going to call this, uh, you know, broker and let him know that I got a, a two million bees on my hands. I I, yeah, like you know, there's some some meeting in a darkened room, you know, where everyone's behind a, a two-way mirrors and whatnot, bidding on these bees. That's kind of how I see it. Like, you know, and you've got people from, you know, kind of evil sultans and you know, corrupt businessmen and stuff. There are people inject, bidding on injecting honey and snorting dried honeycomb. In the that's back. right. <laughs> Uh, evidently, this is a a huge uh, black market. You know that you can you can buy some illegal bees. There's going to be a Slumdog Millionaire esque Oscar movie come out of this. Yeah. <laughs> Call, and, and hey, what if you were uh, if if you were hired by like the the FBI or whatever to go look for the bees? Would you be on a sting? No. Oh, no. Hello. That's no. good. No. Hello. I would say right now, Jesse, the country is a buzz. <laughs> I think that's safe to say. I think people are uh, combing the countryside looking combing, for them. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. This is terrible. This is the worst slice uh, ever. This, this got, yeah, it started off uh, okay and it just got the horrible. The Duncan got to your brain. Yeah, I apologize for the bee puns. <laughs> is this what our comedy has come to? Bee puns? <laughs> I think that's what our comedy has risen to, sadly. <laughs> yeah, sadly. <laughs> All right. Well, this will take it up a notch. Um, I have two that involve Christmas crimes. Uh, you know, I feel like, um, you know, we're entering into that, that season. People just need to be aware of this stuff. Um, a family recently went out of town for the weekend and when they came home, they went. They came into their apartment, and the apartment had been broken into and decorated for Christmas. What? Those cats. What? Yeah, I know. It's probably yeah. The, the same devious minds that steal bees will you know perpetrate home invasion and then decorate your house. Is that true? Um, they really did that. No, yeah, really did it. But uh, a few weeks later, it, it came out that it was actually one of the girl's friends uh, 
you know, was doing it as a prank. But at this point, it had already escalated. It was in all the newspapers, and they were looking for the person that was, and they were going to charge her with a felony. Uh, luckily, the family didn't press charges, but uh, why would they? You know, that would be a little freaky. Why would they not think? Why it was a would prank? you press charges for someone decorating your home? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah, isn't that like a service? <laughs> yeah, like, I would love it if someone broke into my home and decorated. Yeah, you're like it. somebody yeah, now, did my laundry. Call the cops. Yeah, now they, if they had broken in and left millions of bees, <laughs> then I could see how you would have a, a complaint. <laughs> That's where they went. Well, another one, uh, this is just real brief. They they said, you know, a lot of people are ordering. This one I saw from uh, uh, Manassas, Virginia, a website up there. Uh, people, they have a really bad problem with people ordering stuff offline uh, for Christmas. And the UPS man will leave it on the front porch and, and thieves will just take off with it right at the front porch. So someone set up a camera and they've actually called... Uh, this guy who's going around taking packages off the front porch. Um, so be on the lookout. He is about uh, four and a half feet tall, uh, skinny, and he's uh, covered in green fur. Oh, uh, that is awful. <laughs> and the town is known as who- See, now Whoville. you're wishing I made a bee pun, aren't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now the bee puns don't sound so bad. No, they don't. Uh, I long well, for we, bee puns. But we can, if we just have to wait a few more weeks for his heart to grow three times as big. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> then, then he comes back and decorates your home, <laughs> <laughs> covered in bee stings. So, mine's not from New Zealand, but it is from Australia. Oh, okay, so all on that whole Oceania. New Zealand's uh, prettier, older sister. Ooh, I wasn't going to oh, say that. Ooh, big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like New Zealand's drunk cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. And I, I believe this was in Melbourne. Yeah, it was in Melbourne. And a man was walking his dog when he saw a kangaroo out of the corner of his eye, I guess. they. Oh, are... this was on the news last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was like the national story. When Adam says last night, he means every night for the last month. Yeah. <laughs> Roo Watch 2009. <laughs> Roo Watch. Do they have graphics for kangaroo attacks? <laughs> Keep telling the story. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So they're walking along. They see a kangaroo out of the corner of their eye. I guess there are wild kangaroos still. And um, well, kangaroos. Of there are. Well, I, I mean, but you know, it's like here we have. No, we, there, we have there are a wild, lot. We okay. have wild yeah. buffalo, but we don't like see them. Well, there's bears and right, there's yeah. deer and the, it's, okay. it's like that. Anyway. So they're walking along and they see this kangaroo out of the corner of their eye. And I guess sometimes kangaroos are startled by dogs because they'll get chased. This kangaroo somehow got spooked and attacked the dog first and like chased him into a lake and then like pinned him trying to drown the dog. And so the owner of the dog went and got the dog out. And so the kangaroo started attacking him and started, like, slashing at his chest with his, like, huge feet talons. Wait, he wasn't wearing boxing gloves? <laughs> the kangaroo was per- care- using boxing gloves, but that's why he used his feet, because they would inflict greater <laughs> harm. So the guy is, like, you know, getting attacked by this kangaroo and managed to fend it off by elbowing the kangaroo in the neck. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> which like i mean honestly like obviously that's terrifying and i feel bad for the guy and i mean his dog lived and everything but like what a killer story to have for the next like for your the rest of your life at every party you go to like that's if, that, are you sure because that's like saying uh, like i was a, i was attacked by a cute cuddly thing like i i, I survived a koala bear attack that's no, what i know i'm telling you I saw the guy last night. They interviewed him on the news, and he he looks pretty beat up. Uh, but he he did seem incredibly proud. Uh, the best part, though, is when they cut back to the anchor. They're like, and in case you uh, find it a bit hard to believe that a kangaroo would willingly try to drown another animal, and it cuts to this video of a guy standing by a lake, and a kangaroo kind of sneaks up stealthily behind him, <laughs> just gets right behind him, and pushes him in the lake. <laughs> this is on the news. This is the yes. news in New Zealand. Yes. <laughs> well, long-time listeners of the podcast will also remember that Cameron and I witnessed almost the exact same scenario happen at an Orlando no. Magic halftime no, show. No, I stepped out for the halftime <laughs> out of moral objection. They, the, the, the story is, is that at this halftime, 
that stuff the magic dragon mascot yeah, yeah. was going to box a live kangaroo wearing <laughs> boxing gloves. What? Honestly, it God. wasn't a mascot kangaroo. It was a live kangaroo <laughs> that they pulled out of a cage. Awesome. Well, that's probably what they thought when they were planning it. Yeah. But when they did it, it seemed like just really mean animal cruelty. Mm-hmm. Like people started booing and hissing really? and walking out. I I knew it was coming. Uh-huh. And and I didn't want to see any, I don't. There's no good outcome right. of that fight. Right, Jesse, you stayed and saw it, didn't you? Yeah. Well, you know that feeling when you're at like a little party or a get together, and like two people get in an argument, and suddenly everyone kind of hears it, and it gets really awkward. <laughs> Imagine that with twenty five thousand people. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how it was. Like every, we're watching stuff pummel this kangaroo. Oh uh, man! Yeah. <laughs> and, and no one knows what to do. You know, I mean, you don't want to laugh and you feel uncomfortable and really bad. But this is our entertainment, you know. So, yeah. I mean, we paid good money for this. I think the idea was that, you know, Trent Kangaroo, he was playfully going to you know, uh-huh. pretend like he was beating him up and then the kangaroo would win. Right. But that didn't happen, did it? But then it? it got out of hand and stuff killed the kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> ate him. Listen, it was so... My, uh, Maya, like, wrote in after the game uh-huh. and was, like, livid that they would do this and it's animal cruelty. And they wrote her back mm-hmm. and they said, we've been receiving these emails all morning. We can't apologize enough. We will never do that again. It was meant... It, you know, But, I mean, they literally... It so backfired on the organization wow. that they would book this as halftime entertainment. Yeah. Let's beat up a kangaroo. <laughs> and, and it was seriously, it wasn't like this choreographed little thing. It was stuff boxing a kangaroo. <laughs> wow. it's so weird. Now we see that perhaps, you know, the kangaroo wasn't the one we should feel sorry for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> stuff was in real danger there. If there had been a pool of water, <laughs> the magic would have been minus one mascot. <laughs> All right, on this uh, unbelievably strange note, we will uh, wrap up Slices, and I can't believe we're going from that to me saying the phrase, up next, Don Miller. But it's not like Christmas at all I remember when you were here And all the fun we had last Well, maybe your Black Friday shopping trip didn't quite pan out, but we got a gift that you could give this Christmas. Why not give Relevant? That's right. You can give Relevant subscriptions this Christmas for as little as $7.50. That's right. Just $7.50. A whole year of Relevant subscriptions. Get your Christmas shopping going. Relevantmagazine.com slash Christmas. All right. You're listening to Christmas music. I don't know what, what, what it is, though. Uh, last, last week, you heard part one of our interview with uh, author Don Miller. His new book uh, that just came out is called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. He's on a national speaking tour, I believe 60 dates, and it's wrapping up uh, fairly soon. You can check out his blog, tour dates, and other interesting information about Don at donmilleris.com. Uh, when Don came through our studio, Josh Loveless interviewed him, and uh, you can check out part one of the interview on the uh, Relevant Podcast archives over at our website. And here is part two of Josh Loveless's interview with Don Miller. One of the other ideas that you talk about is uh, is this idea of the inciting incident, um, and and I feel like one of the things that you talk about is that there are these things that we like we were just saying that we can do to change how our character uh, lives the story uh, lives the story out. But I think there's a lot of people that have tried to change their lives and still find their lives unlivable to some degree. Yeah. Um, those struggling with depression and even those who are silently grieving the life that they're living and they feel like they can't climb out mm-hmm. of some hole they've fallen in. Um, what would you say to those that feel like they've tried to change their life and are still stuck? Mm, well, I'm... 
I'm not a counselor, so I know that there's all sorts of reasons that people get depressed. Um, I can only tell you my story is that when I was in that funk, what I had to do was actually uh, work with a group of people to help somebody else's life. And the work needed to be hard and risky and needed to cost me something. Mm. And over a period of time, that worked. I mean, I don't wake up anymore wondering what life is about or whether or not life is meaningless or any of that stuff. And I, I think a lot – well, Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he says the three necessary ingredients of feeling meaning in your life. And he's talking about existentially, just experiencing a sense of meaning and fulfillment are this. Have work that you really like to do. Have someone that you love and can share life with, and then have an explanation for the conflict in your life. Mm. And by explanation, I think he means um, a sense of meaning for the pain that you're actually experiencing. So for me, you know, the mentoring project is that uh, groups of friends, really close friends that I share life with, help that. And then the idea that I grew up without a dad, I, I could live in the bitterness of that, and I could. You know, there was a year or so where I just kind of realized I grew up without a dad and I, you know, just got real melancholy about it. It was all so self-centered, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then I just went, wait a second. It was actually through reading Bishop Desmond Tutu in the book Country of My Skull mm-hmm. where he talked about what it means to be a wounded healer. Mm-hmm. And I was given dignity by t- Bishop Tutu's words when he talked about take your pain and turn it into service. And so I realized, well, you know, if mm-hmm. I, now I can say if I if I, if I had had a dad – I would not be motivated to provide a million mentors for kids growing up without dads. So because of the pain in my life, one million kids potentially will have mentors, and that is something to celebrate. And so those three elements, you know, doing work that you really like to do or having a project or an ambition, sharing your life with friends, and then finding a meaning for your suffering actually elevate your sense of dignity. And um, uh, there may be problems on top of that. It's certainly not a foolproof solution, but I think it's worth a shot. It certainly has worked for me. So would you say, I mean, even with some of the other words that you've, you've used uh, today, would you say that the mentoring project gives your life meaning in ways that you, you didn't feel before? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the life that I was living, people were, were going to sit at my funeral and they were going to say, wow, he sold a lot of books. That's not a good story. But up until a certain point, that would have been enough, right? Is that fair or no? No. I mean, when I wrote, you know, when Blue Lake Jazz took off, there was a sense of like, this, this didn't do it. This wasn't a meaningful experience for me. And But you hoped that it would have been, I hope, right? I, I Well, I don't know that I hoped. I Subconsciously, I thought it would have been. Right. But it wasn't. And, uh, and so, you know, sacrificing for the sake of other people is really where great stories get told. Hmm. And... Um, you know, me starting the mentoring project, which will be my life. I'll do it for the rest of my life. And hopefully somebody will take over once I retire and they'll just keep it going and it'll go on, you know, for a long time. For right now, the mentoring project is... uh, is specifically local to Portland, Oregon. Is that correct? It's local to Portland, Oregon. It's a mentoring program. And here's what differentiates us between other programs. It doesn't make us better, but here's how we're different. Here's how we're meeting a need that isn't being met. Um, most mentoring programs deal with men and women, young young girls, young boys, big brothers, big sisters, these kinds of things. Um, but most of those organizations, the dominant mentors that they provide are white women, hmm. overwhelmingly the overwhelming majority of mentors in this country are white women. So we are not answering the masculinity crisis through existing mentoring programs very effectively. Um, There are uh, 94% of people in prison are men. Hmm. 6% of people in prison are women. So we don't have a a femininity crisis in this country. There's not a crisis with our women. There's a crisis with our men. So we target only boys. We're only targeting young boys growing up without dads. Boys tend to become uh, oppressors when they grow up without fathers. Girls tend to become victims. So that's, so that's one thing that differentiates between us and other organizations. We're actually targeting the guys who are headed to prison statistically. And then 
we mentor as groups. So we go into a church. We actually we actually uh, work with a point person at the church who runs the mentoring project in their church. The mentoring project belongs to them. They can call it whatever they want. We do their background checks for them. We resource them. We do all of their mentor training, and then we sustain that organization uh, in the church through a local regional director who's always on the phone with them helping them run that program. Mm. And we, we hope that they would run at least 10 they would have at least 10 mentors who mentor as a community. So if you are a mentor, it's you and nine other buddies who are actually mentoring, and you're mentoring as a group, and you show up at after-school programs as a group. So um, the average mentor relationship lasts six months. So we're just teaching kids that they're going to be abandoned again. Mm-hmm. But our program is designed that it would run much longer than six months, hopefully years, mm-hmm. until the child is an adult. Mm-hmm. And they they mentor as a community. So you get a, if you're a mentor, you get a sense of brotherhood from working with our organization. You get a community from our organization, and of course, you're you're answering the crisis of fatherlessness in our country. So those are some things that differentiate between us and other groups. What what's your plan for expansion so that other churches can get involved in this in other places outside of Portland? We have nine programs in Portland. We're mentoring 150 kids. the The school district in Portland has asked us to provide 500 more mentors for the school district alone. Wow. And we've gone to them and said, "Hey, we're a Christian organization." I don't know if you're cool with that. They said, we're extremely cool with that. Hmm. And some teachers are saying we have the best mentoring program in the city. Wow. And so we, we love what we're doing. Um, we, uh, we are funded at our, current, uh, at our current staffing for 2010, but we need at least a million bucks to expand nationally. And we hope to expand nationally starting in 2010, working into 2011. So we'll have a regional director in either, in either Atlanta or Little Rock, Arkansas. We have a lot of contacts in Little Rock, Arkansas. Because the southeast, the statistics are much more staggering yeah. in the southeast than they are in the Pacific Northwest. You're welcome for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about Florida. I can't remember, but I know Mississippi's 49%. Wow. Utah, by the way, is only 18%. Yeah. So it's, it's an enormous disparity you know, between sure. these. And, so you're uh, trying to go to the places statistically places that Places statistically the that need the greatest, yeah. uh, that have the greatest problems. Sure. And, uh, and so uh, we have 300 churches right now that want to start our program, and we cannot resource them. Hmm. We cannot do their training. We can't. It just takes too much. And if you know, I don't mean to give a plug, but if you go to mentoringproject.org, you can find out more about donating to our program. You spent some time last year campaigning for uh, what's his name? What's his name? I, uh, I can't. I can't think. You're thinking of uh, Prez, the Green Party, Ralph Prez, Nader. Yeah, <laughs> Ralph Nader, <laughs> Ron Paul. Uh, no, Mr. Barack uh, Obama. And now you serve on his task force on fatherhood and healthy families. Um, first question, does your role on the task force mean that you get to carry a badge of some sort? It just seems like it comes <laughs> with a uniform and a badge. No. Did they hand, They didn't hand that out? No. It, it comes with a, a lot of work <laughs> and no glory. No glory. <laughs> as um, do as does most of the guys who are working in D.C. On any of those task forces. Yeah. Um, a year removed from campaigning and now a year into his presidency, what's kept you interested in standing behind the politics of the president? Well, I don't know that I would say I'm standing behind the politics of the president. Um, I uh, was asked to do the prayer at the DNC. I was a supporter of of Senator Obama back when he was working with uh, Senator Bay to uh, try to pass the Responsible Fatherhood Act. So even when he was a senator for that two years, he was on my radar with the Responsible Fatherhood Act, which is an amazingly comprehensive piece of legislation. Because of the issue itself. It is a piece of legislation that will decrease uh, teen suicide, teen dropout rates, unwanted pregnancy and abortion, and eventually divorce. Mm. And it, it's, a, it's just – and that was one of his platforms. So when he ran for president, I thought, this guy would be great. I had issues just like a lot of evangelicals had issues and began to research some of that stuff and realized, you know, I I hate to get into it here because it it was never an open conversation during the campaign. It was people are very closed. They already have made up their mind. It would just become heated. And so I just stopped talking about it. But for my own conscience, I looked at some of the issues and just went, I can support this guy. Mm. Um, and there are reasons for that that most people aren't going to understand, but that's just that's just the conclusion that I came to. Sure. And, um, and so after the, the election, uh, you know, and I, I went to several battleground states and explained those positions, you know, 
where I where I am on that stuff, what the reality of some of those issues are for, how the church is consistently manipulated by uh, organizations that do not affect any change, but they say all these, they use all these, you know, broad banners, and yeah. they don't do anything. Yeah. And uh, and so, uh, but I at every stop, I said, you know, hey, the last convention I went to was a Republican National Convention. I voted for George Bush. I'd turn on this guy in a heartbeat, and um, and. And so hopefully I'm an objective person. But they asked me to come in on the Fatherhood Task Force, and it's been a fascinating experience. I mean, um, working with the guys in, in D.C. and uh, uh, Frank Page, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, is on the task force. So they're, they're, it's not just a bunch of Democrats. You know, He's really created a broad base of people who actually opposed him, hmm. and they're on these task forces too. And then you get in there, and people think you're supporting the president. Really, you're just doing like really hard work. Yeah. It, it's just... You're just doing extremely hard work to try to answer the crisis of fatherlessness in America and strengthen existing fathers and families. Hmm. There's not a, a neoconservative uh, evangelical leader in the country who would disapprove of anything that we're doing. Sure. And there's other branches of, of, of the president's administration that are doing things that they probably would disagree with, but I'm, hmm. they don't call me and ask me to be in those meetings. Do you feel like, I mean, again, with this passion that you have for the fatherless, do you feel like a man or a woman grows up at some point and and that desire goes away or the need for someone to play that role goes away? Meaning, is there someone in your life that you look to as a father or, um, or do you think that's a desire that as you grow older and you're in your 30s and 40s that, that maybe you're going to need to shelve in some way? No, it never goes away. It, it, you'll be 80 years old, and you'll have that wound. Um, it can, you can heal that wound, you know, and through faith and through action and through counseling, all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, the desire for a dad, I mean, even at 80 years old, you're just a kid in the eternal perspective, you know, and uh, you know more than a three-year-old, but not much. Sure. And... Um, those wounds stay, and they need to be dealt with. And I love the fact that um, that guys are talking about it now. I mean, used to, when I wrote Tone of Dragon four, three or four years ago, you didn't talk about these issues. You, didn't, you know, I hated writing that book because mm. I had to sit there and be as vulnerable. And you guys, it is not attractive to women when you sit and talk about your weaknesses. Mm. And you want to be attractive, right? Yeah. You want to, you know, yeah. you want to be strong, and even as a man, you want to be strong. And but the only way to get to strength is to address true weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that was part of that journey for me. And now guys are actually starting to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope it becomes a movement of people openly in strength, yeah. talking about their the stuff they had with their dad and mm-hmm. figuring it out and not repeating the cycle. And um, uh, I, I'm really glad to be a part of that. But the other, the other thing, real quick, I've had a bunch of mentors. I mean, you know, currently Bob Goff is a great mentoring friend, and I've probably had 10 of them throughout the years. None of those guys were my father. And it was really important for me to understand that at some point. These are just mentors. They're not supposed to be your dad. Yeah. You didn't have a dad. And you will live the rest of your life without a dad, which is a curse on one hand, but an incredible blessing that you've turned into a strength on the other. And and that's one thing that we tell our mentors is you're not their dad. You're not going to provide for them financially. You're not going to make up for the fact that they don't have a dad. What you're going to be is a positive male role model, which will, which will affect dramatic change in their lives. But you're not going to be their dad. You're listening to Christmas music. Check uh, uh, go over to relevantmagazine.com, uh, go to the podcast current episode page, and you will be surprised to find all the goodies that we put there. We have uh, all the music from this week's uh, podcast. We have behind the scenes photos. We have the No Shave November update photos. Mm-hmm. 
And, and <coughs> if a band performs or anything, we'll always put extra material, extra an interview or an extra song or something there as well. So if you have some extra time on your hands, go check out the archives. Even. And, and No Shave November is going well, I should say. Yeah, you're actually looking pretty good now. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. You had a rough start. Yeah, it was it was a rough time. Chad, I think, looks the best. If you haven't seen his picture yet, he's got some very distinguished flecks of gray. Yeah, it's a good time. It is. Yeah. In fact, uh, the other day he was. We were needing. He's going to be in the January issue of Relevant. He's in one of the stories. Uh, he is um, a, a he is a model for us Look actually, and he actor was, slash model. He's wearing he you know hipster skinny jeans, and he was wearing a grandpa cardigan, you know, and, and I was like, all right, guys, well, you know, he's got gray in his beard. He's wearing a grandpa cardigan. We need to, you know, young it up a little bit. So maybe we lose the sweater for some of the shots. Mm. So that was my art direction. And then you had him put on like an Anne Berlin t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Figure it would be in the middle somewhere. Right. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So last week's feedback segment, we didn't do a question of the week like we normally do. In fact, we gave you kind of a challenge of the week. We asked you to write a short story. This is Don Miller time. We asked you to write a short story in 140 characters or less, Twitter length. So you went over to the podcast episode page and wrote them there. We have gone through them. The committee of four, five, Chad Michael Snavely has uh, selected some as well, um, has gone through them, and we have selected the 10 winners who are winning a signed copy of Don Miller's new book. Here they are. I will read them. Cosette, the very first one, and we're not being lazy. It deserves to yeah. win. Cosette mm-hmm. wrote in, uh, wrote... The plane touches down, and my seven years without a sister are over. The little piece of China fits perfectly in my arms. Our family complete. Touching. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. Vagabond wrote, peering through the skeleton mask and picking up my tricycle, I turned to see the police squad car pulled over behind me. Vagabond, I told you that story in confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First name L wrote... When he woke up, the dinosaur was still there. Mm. <laughs> that it. is possibly the most brilliantly succinct story <laughs> I've ever heard. First name L, you should stop drinking. First name L. Oh, I, I, I could write a book about that sentence. Honestly, it's brilliant. Yeah. And, but the thing is, you don't even need to write a book. Everything you need to know is in that one sentence. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Cabbage Milk wrote... When Feldman woke up in a tub full of stovetop stuffing, he thought to himself, I knew I shouldn't have shaved my chest. <laughs> I, can someone explain this to me? Am I missing a That culture? one you do need a book to, uh, to go around. Am I missing be, a cultural it would be a reference? Great line in said book. No, you're not missing a cultural reference. Stovetop stuffing and shaving the chest. Is, it's called non sequitur. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. I just thought... When Feldman woke... You know, culturally in America, we have non sequitur humor. <laughs> I don't know if they have that over in Austria. Well, I didn't know if... Or I on thought the mission maybe, field. I thought maybe Feldman was a character from something that I didn't know about. Feldman is. It's the bizarro... Um, um, bizarro J- Jerry. Bizarro oh, Jerry. Okay. No, no, he's Bizarro Kramer. Kramer. Okay. Yeah. Feldman... Yeah. That makes more sense, then. Yeah, I haven't seen the Bizarro episode in a long time. But this has nothing to do with that guy. I'm just saying, you you were saying Feldman. Yeah. Yeah. When Feldman woke up in a tub full of stovetop stuffing, he thought to himself, I knew I shouldn't have shaved my chest. All right. uh, Let's see. Next one. Kevin Steinhardt uh, wrote, as the cashier gave a knowing look scanning the prenatal vitamins, I realized she is the first person on earth to know we are having a baby. Mm -hmm. I like that one. Yeah. It's heartwarming. It is heartwarming. I shouldn't have shaved my chest. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Patrick wrote, A true companion through many a tale descended to me in a ship with a sail. His fury unmatched, his roar full of grace, grizzly bear from space. That, it's, that's beautiful. <laughs> it's also a haiku. Yeah. That's why I love it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. He took it to the next level. He took the, he's like, yeah. forget this sentence. I'm going to write a haiku. Yeah, I'm going to Twitter a narrative haiku. <laughs> that's, that's skillful. Tricolo or Triclo wrote, I think I can hold it. Turns out the boat trip lasted a week. Too bad about what Wednesday taco night. Tricolo had Very another nice. one. Is Tricolo saying that the boat trip after Wednesday taco night made, made, made the boat trip feel like it lasted a week? 
because I think he's he saying the boat trip literally lasted a week, but he didn't get back until like Saturday and taco night was on Wednesday. And so he he missed Wednesday taco. No, night? he went to Wednesday. Taco no, no, night, he that went, was a mistake. And that's why he thought he could hold it. But the for a boat week trip lasted yeah. an entire week. No, that's impossible. Yeah. That's physically <laughs> but not he possible. He didn't know the boat trip was going to last. Yeah, a week. He, he didn't. He wouldn't have eaten at taco night had he known. Exactly. It was gonna be he a thought week it was going to be a brief little jaunt. See, so you're saying like a three hour tour. Here's what I right. think he's saying. And they got marooned. I think he's saying by saying, I think I can hold it after Wednesday taco night, that it made the boat trip feel like it lasted a week. Hmm. So you're looking at it more figuratively. Um, have you ever thought you could hold something after Wednesday taco night? It but feels true. like time stands still. Well, I was going to say, I actually like Tricolo's other one. He thought she could be the one. Thanksgiving was tofurkey. God closes a door. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, Tricolo wins. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let, let's take off the boat one as a winner and, and do the, the, that one. He thought she could be the one. Thanksgiving was tofurkey. God closes a door. That's <laughs> that's definitely the one. That's awesome. Okay, can can I I I don't want to throw a spanner in the works here, but this is really a good one that we've overlooked. Right. Which one is it? By Architutistic. As the decentville populace grew more demanding, Justice Jane secretly wondered if Sir Kills a lot was still hiring. Oh, he was. <laughs> I like that one. That's good. All right, and for the last Two, here we go. Dave Jennings wrote, Jenny leaned across the front seat for our first kiss. The back of my head hit the driver's side window in retreat. I couldn't reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so is he not reciprocating because he doesn't love or like Jenny enough? Or is he reciprocating because he's holding out his purity for marriage? I'm going to hope mm, for the former. I think that... <laughs> like he won't kiss before... You're, you don't want to. You don't want to think that he's... Not going to kiss yeah, before marriage. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I I think it's that he doesn't feel the same way. Yeah, but, but I think that there's something deeper there that he can't feel the same way. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> he is not human. <laughs> <laughs> For he isn't. He is an alien he can, implanted, or she isn't, and he can never love a robot <laughs> <laughs> because of his seated prejudice against robots. Cameron, I think you missed that it said uh, 2097, colon. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's actually uh, about 88 years in the future. So, so that's why. Okay. All right. And last one. Now, this one's a little bit controversial, but we thought it was interesting. Gordon wrote, seeing the church marquee was a guillotine to the last ray of hope left in the pastor and father of three. God hates fags. It spoke of him. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Man. Wow. Seeing the church marquee was a guillotine to the last ray of hope left in the pastor and father of three. God hates fags. It spoke of him. Ouch. That, wow. Man. That's fantastic. Man, that's Gordon. So those are your winners. They are winning the uh, signed copy of Don Miller's new book. If you're listening, hit us up. And we will, uh, with your address, email feedback at relevantmagazine.com with your uh, full name and address, and we will drop that in the mail for you. There are a lot of great ones, by the way. There are. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. If you're listening to this, the current podcast episode page is, is going to be the current edition. Do yourself a favor and go to the archives and find last week's podcast and read those replies because there are some great stories in there. And if any of you are writers, some of them may actually springboard you into a book because there's some amazing stories being hatched. All right. So that'll do it for last week's feedback. Here's this week's question of the week. Editorial question of the week. Now, for this week's question of the week, we also have a prize incentive. This isn't going to be every week, but we do this week because this is a big week for us. Um, on Tuesday, December 1st, it's World AIDS Day. Um, last year, World AIDS Day, I actually went to a, um, a thing up in D.C. that Rick Warren hosted with the One Campaign uh, to honor uh, President Bush and all of his efforts in, uh, in Africa and, hmm. um, and, and, and all the amazing things that are happening there as far as fighting and combating AIDS. Uh, this year, we have something significant happening, too. We are actually launching projectapathy.com on Tuesday, December 1st. Uh, to tie with World AIDS Day. 
uh, rejectapathy.com. If you read the print magazine, you know that Reject Apathy is, is, is our section that we talk about social justice issues, worldview stuff. Uh, we, it's a whole life message. We talk about the five pillars of Reject Apathy are, um, we feel, issues that Christians should be involved in and care about and be educated about and uh, helping being the solution in these five areas because they are uh, moral issues, they are whole life issues, and they are uh, preventable disease, poverty, unjust war, uh, the defense of innocence, and innocence being everything from in innocent lives who can't stand it for themselves, so whether it be in the womb and standing up against abortion or it be fighting sex trafficking or slavery, uh, and then lastly, creation care, because the people who are impacted the most by um, uh, climate change are the least of these. The people who suffer from sickness, from pollution and things are the poorest of the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we feel that these are the five areas that Christians should be actively engaged in on social um, outreach and social justice issues. So rejectapathy.com is launching to give voice to that. So telling the stories, spotlighting the organizations, giving you ways to get involved and be part of the solution, kind of educating and activating and equipping our generation to make a difference. So that is launching on December 1st. Well, um, so the question of the week this week ties in with that launch. And we are selecting 10 people who reply, and they're going to win a uh, kind of a pack of merch from the one campaign. So a one t-shirt, a hat, and uh, wristbands. So this week's question of the week, we wanted to tie in with that because it's a significant launch, not only for for us, for Relevant, but we think, um, well, well, we have big plans in store for Reject Apathy. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're going to be doing a lot with Reject Apathy in 2010, especially. So we wanted to ask you this week for the question of the week, Basically, this Christmas season, how are you rejecting apathy? Uh, how are you and your family or your community um, living outwardly, intentionally, intentionally, sacrificially to, whether it be locally or globally, to you know reach others and and um, and kind of be light in the darkness this Christmas season? We want to know your story. So maybe your church is doing something. Maybe uh, you and your family are are instead of spending hundreds of dollars on gifts for each other, you are intentionally giving those resources to another family or something, you know, like we want to hear your stories. That's it. No parameters. We just want to hear your stories of how this Christmas season you're rejecting apathy. And as a way to say thank you, uh, the one campaign is uh, donating 10 kind of prize packs or whatever to, um, to 10 people that we select from the respondents, and it's going to be a one T-shirt, a one hat, and one wristband. Hmm. So if you go over to the relevantmagazine.com podcast episode page, right there in the comments, you can post your reply to this week's question of the week. And um, like I said, next week on the podcast, we will read uh, kind of our 10 favorite replies. I hate to say favorite, (laughs) but (laughs) 10 10 of them... uh, most compelling right. uh, stories. Ones that stuck out to there us. There you go. And uh, and we will be sending you a one prize gift pack. There we should go. say, if we don't choose yours, by no means do we intend yeah. to discourage you. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. Please don't feel that way. Um, so yeah, well, there you go. It's a good thing. It's a new season. We're excited about it. Well, I guess on that note, we will wrap up this week's kind of abbreviated version of the podcast, the, the post-Thanksgiving uh, edition. Many thanks to Don Miller for coming through. Again, if you want to check out um, uh, more of his writings, you can see his blog at donmillerisdotcom. A Million Miles in a Thousand Years is a terrific book, and it's available everywhere right now. Um, do yourself a favor and go get a copy. Well, on that note, we will wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Ryan Ham. I'm Adam Smith. I'm Jesse Carey. We will see you next week.
So not only was it giving a live birth, it was giving live birth to like uh, a twin who had absorbed the other fetus or something. 